Oh, let's get it. Monday, June 28th, 2021. Warn the Battle, brought to you by the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs, the podcast that focuses on inspiring veteran stories and puts a highlight on important resources, offices, and benefits for our veterans. I'm your host, Marine Corps veteran Tanner Iskra. Wherever and however you're listening to Born a Battle today, be it Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, the player inside the blog, hope you're having a good week outside of podcast land. Uh, reminder that finally, after a year and a half, I'm finally going home to Washington State for the 4th of July. Looking forward to seeing my friends and family, especially my 90-year-old grandma, the matriarch of the family. Uh, looking forward to going home and seeing everyone. What that means is that for a couple weeks, not next week, next week we got one more, but uh, after that we'll have a couple Born the Battle Rewinds and then we'll be back for a couple more weeks. And then after that I have a medical slash vacation that I'll be going to in August. So we'll have a couple, we'll actually have a guest uh, host on the Born the Battle Rewinds. So so look for that in August. A couple ratings, no reviews, and I can't get into my email accounts this morning because hashtag government. But I did catch a comment on episode 246's blog on blogs.va.gov. That was uh, Jonathan Kingham's blog. This is from Every L. Anthony. Says, this week's episode of Born the Battle with Jonathan Kingham brought me to my happy place. Humility and music. What a beautiful soul that walks in and out of people's lives with his music. Keep up the good work, Tanner. Hearing stories of how our military service members are surviving and thriving after service keeps us all going. Blessings, drummer girl. Uh, Drummer Girl, you're completely right. Uh, Jonathan was a great interview. And yes, so humble, yet so talented. And it's not very often I get an interview where they know where my hometown of Hump Tools, Washington is either. For me, it was a great conversation, and I'm glad you enjoyed it. If you haven't yet, please consider writing a review for Born the Battle on Apple Podcasts. Doing so helps us climb higher in the algorithms, giving more veterans a better opportunity to discover and listen to the interviews, our benefits breakdown episodes, and hear what's in our news releases. Speaking of news releases, we got just one this week. More of a report slash update. A recent government accountability office report found that VA and FEMA achieved their mission serving as the backup to our nation's healthcare system during the coronavirus pandemic. How? Well, in response to the pandemic since March of 2020, the Department of Veterans Affairs has completed 154th mission assignments nationwide. Now, VA's fourth mission is a statutory requirement to support states, territories, tribes, and other federal agencies by providing resources and support in times of emergency, basically to be the nation's healthcare backup when needed. These assignments have ranged from deploying staff to other VA facilities, placing VA staff in community medical and long-term care facilities, caring for civilian inpatients at VA facilities, and helping local governments in need of COVID-19 testing, vaccines, and staff. In addition to these mission assignments, VA has also provided nearly 1 million pieces of personal protective equipment to states and local governments since the start of the pandemic and admitted over 480 non-veteran patients for COVID-19 care at VA medical centers. To read a summary of VA's fourth mission, go to va.gov forward slash health forward slash coronavirus, forward slash state support dot ASP. And to read the full Government Accountability Office report, it's hyperlinked in this news release. And a link to that news release is at the bottom of this episode's blog 
on blogs.va.gov. All right, this week's interview features an Air Force veteran who was a systems engineering chief developing software for satellite tracking systems at the Cheyenne Mountain Complex in Colorado. Big brain stuff. She is now a group vice president at Charter slash Spectrum Communications, leading an agile transformation team, basically getting Spectrum to the level where they're pushing continuous software updates instead of you having to keep buying or switching out new hardware. Learning that, I thought she'd also be a great brain to pick about really what is the future of entertainment technology going to look like. She is Air Force veteran Marty Moore. Enjoy. It's been um, really exciting to actually go back and listen to a couple of the podcasts that you have done in the past and to understand more about the program. Really? Which one you which one you listen to? Uh, I listened to the woman from the Veterans Affairs Office who provides services for um, veterans that are experiencing PTSD. Um, that one was really emotional, actually, towards the end. She was uh, so passionate about what she does. Um, yeah. And then the, the other one that I listened to is the Navy SEAL, who's created the nonprofit for um, non-medication oriented treatments for PTSD. And that one was also very intense. Like, um, And some of these people have really dedicated their lives to helping veterans, which I really um, was uh, very moved by, actually. Mikel Vega is who you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. He went, we went deep on that one. We went deep on that yeah. one because I think for yeah. him, it was really personal. And uh, yeah, no, great. Uh, I'm glad you did the research because I did mine. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. <laughs> um, well, first thing I want you to do, Marty, is, uh, you know, as, spe- as Spectrum's S- S6, um, I want you to send me one of those things for free cable that I know your shop has <laughs> and, uh, and you can hook me up with. And uh, I want HBO. I want stars. Gotcha. Uh, I want the whole thing. Um, no, I'm kidding. I don't All have right. spectrum. I don't think you're one of the ones that's, that's offered in my area anymore. I know Where do you, you live? Are, uh, Stafford, Virginia. Yeah, probably not. Yeah. That yeah. might be, that might be cable vision. I don't know. Oh, oh no, it, actually Virginia would probably be Cox. It's Cox. Yeah. Cox mm-hmm. and, uh, Verizon. And Sorry, Verizon. Mm-hmm. Verizon. Okay, yeah. I think, I think you guys are towards more towards Fairfax. So I, I did think I, I do think I had spectrum or charter at the time mm-hmm. during that time. Um, well, one of the first things we do here at born the battle is, uh, is when we always ask everyone when and where did you know that the military was going to be the next phase in your life? And I ask it that way because, you know, of course, Vietnam veterans, they didn't have the choice to enlist. Sometimes yeah. they were drafted. So yeah. Uh, for you, Marty, when was the first time that you knew that the military ser- that, mil- that military service was going to be the next time? Next, step I, I was actually in high school. So okay. um, my my you know grew up in rural South Dakota. Parents didn't have a lot of money, um, and but I was you know had relatively good grades. I knew I was probably going to go into some sort of technology field, but I had to figure out how to pay for college. Mm-hmm. So my guidance counselor said. Hey, and I didn't have any military background. No one in my family had been in the military. I, I literally knew very little about it. My guidance counselor said, there's this great program. They're looking for people who want to go into technology. They're looking for women. It's called ROTC. <laughs> not white tech or not, 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 not a no. tech school. It's like, oh, it's no. called the military. I know. Yeah. And I was Very like, good. what? And uh, my guidance counselor, who was really concerned that he was worried that maybe I might, because fan- faced with the financial challenges of going to college and trying to pay for it on my own, that I might not go. So totally he said, just apply for this, right? Is that kind of what, what happened with you as well? 100, 100%. Son of a logger. 
Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. 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 And my parents were, you know, my mom was a teacher. My dad was a salesman. It wasn't like they, we were destitute, but there wasn't a lot of extra money laying around for, to pay for college. Um, and so I applied for an Air Force ROTC scholarship, uh, went through that whole process, um, was offered the scholarship, um, was able to choose within certain criteria where I wanted to actually go to school. Um, wow. And so I decided to, my parents were, were thrilled. Um, of course, they didn't have to worry about paying for anything, but they were also really proud of the fact that they would have someone in the family who would actually go into the military, which we'd never really had before. Wow. Um, so, yep, accepted the scholarship. Um, and my uh, university that I went to is called Drake University. It's in Des Moines. Um, but my ROTC detachment was at Iowa State. So massive, huge school. Um, and so I started learning part of what you go through at ROTC is you learn what is the military. And a lot of people already know it if they have military backgrounds, but of course I didn't. So um, no. the first two years you you go to a class. It's one of the classes that you attend and you learn all about what it is to be in the military and you learn about war tactics and you learn about the chain of command and you learn about what it is to be a military person. And that first two years is like your decision period. Mm. Okay. So for people who have been through ROTC, you spend the first two years learning about it. And then at the end of the second year, you make your decision about whether or not you're going to become a commissioned officer. Was the, was the first two years a full ride? Was a lot, was it a full ride all four years? And then at two years you make a decision and then it's either a, you keep going and get the rest of the full ride or B it's like, well, Hey, thanks for trying out. And Okay, yes. gotcha. That, gotcha. Exactly. When, when I went through it now, this is back in the, the 80s, you know, the late 80s. So it may be different now. And at the time, it was a five-year commitment. Um, and so um, I don't remember what would have happened if I had stopped after the two years Would I've had to pay that tuition back. I don't think so. I think it was basically, no, I think a, it was a, yeah, make your decision. Yeah. But then the next two years are, are up to you if you decide not to become a, a commissioned officer. So you actually, I actually got my commission after my sophomore year of college and then spent the next two years finishing up getting my computer science degree and also getting my ROTC training. Very good. Very good. Systems engineering chief. Uh, there's a lot of systems in the Air Force, uh, I assume, space, cyber, aircraft, yeah. uh, base systems, infrastructure. Uh, what did you work on specifically during your time? Well, when I when I went in, um, I actually chose there were a number of different choices. You know, you get to choose your top three or whatever. And I chose Space Command. Which oh, wow. was at, I know, I know. You must, you must be thrilled with what's going on right now in the DOD with oh, the yeah. Space Force well, and everything. It is. It's really exciting, actually. Um, it's bringing a lot more attention to it, um, for sure. So I chose to go to Space Command at uh, Peterson Air Force Base in Colorado Springs. Of course, Colorado's beautiful. What, who's not, what's not to love? Um, yeah. I didn't have... Uh, what I didn't do was I didn't travel a lot. So I stayed in that one place for about five years. And I worked on, um, when you say systems, I worked on satellite tracking systems. Wow. So, you know, we have satellites, you know, thousands and thousands of satellites orbiting the earth, performing all sorts of different services, military services, communications, um, television, just about, you know, anything you can imagine. And there is a platform, at least there was when I was in, um, that monitors all of the satellites that are orbiting the earth to make sure they don't run into each other. And to also make sure that satellite, they don't hit satellite air traffic control, air traffic of. control. Yeah. Okay. And some of them can move and some of them can't. So if there is, for example, a piece of debris up in space 
and the satellite has to is we give them you know the the person who is operating the satellite or the the organization we give them a warning we say look this is looks like you could potentially experience some damage from this you could either remove your satellite or just know that this is coming, right? Um, sometimes satellites can move, sometimes they can't. So, and then they also come down eventually. So over the lifespan of a satellite, eventually that satellite's going to come down. Um, and so we would also start to detect that the Earth's gravity is starting to pull that satellite closer and closer into, you know, losing its orbit and it would come and it would basically Get come down to Earth. And that's, that's natural, right? Burned up. Yeah. How, uh, what's the life my- cycle of it? What's the life cycle of a satellite? Oh gosh, I don't even know if I would know anymore. Um, <laughs> I mean, that was a long time ago. So back roughly, then, roughly, yeah. roughly. Oh, would, you know, twenty years maybe. Gotcha. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Super interesting. Yeah. Um. So like, so you give a warning, like, hey, you're you're kind of in in our space. Like, you guys had things that would knock down satellites if it would like damage stuff. Um. The satellite. There is. There are some satellites that you can take down. And then some don't wow. have that capability. So, okay. um, and this, and frankly, this is going to be a little dated because I haven't really kept up with sure. all of this, sure. um, but I actually worked, I was a software developer. So I worked on the software that would run that platform. I wasn't yeah. part of the operational unit. So up in Cheyenne mountain, which is where the operational unit was, there yeah. was a war room, if you will, of, uh, terminals where the operational officers and enlisted people actually did the monitoring and that was shift work. So they would come, there was a 24 hour shift work that those people would come in and actually, you know, execute on the operational piece of the work. Have you seen the, the airman video about the Cheyenne base? No, I need to see that. Okay. I am not. After this interview, I will send it to you. Okay. I promise I will send it to you. It's that would be great. In- incredible. It's good stuff. Uh, the Airman Magazine, they do it. It's DOD. It's Air Force. They do a, a lot of really great cinematography in their stories. And, and wow. I'll send it to you. It's, it's all about Cheyenne. So you know, oh, if you were there, fantastic. you'll love it. Oh, my God. Um, yes. And so I, had to, I didn't spend a lot of time up there because I wasn't part of the operational unit. But I did have sure. to go at the time and take these huge software tapes up there. So that's how we did upgrades at the time. Now it's all in the cloud, right? So it's like a, like a reel of tape and the actual code is on the reel of tape. And I, my job was to, I didn't actually take the tape up there because it was um, classified. So my job was to drive up there, go into the Cheyenne mountain complex into the, the computer back room and install the tapes and run the software upgrade. Um, and that wow. would take a couple of hours. I had to do that in the middle of the night. So that was that was part of my job. It was so much fun. I loved it. It was I know it's not a typical military experience and it wasn't, you know, um, super intense in terms of life or death, um, but it was really fun. It was really interesting to learn about what the operational teams did and um, to be a part of that. Uh, to and, and it was, you know, if there was a defect, we had to go we had to go down and fix that. You know, if it didn't work, you know, we were on the hook. Yeah. And technology is, you know, sometimes the the little tipping point on what gives us the advantage over the, over the enemy. So no, it's uh, life or death. Okay. But, but it's still super important and it's still, a, you know, a target for the enemy. If, if, you know, that's why Cheyenne is Cheyenne. And I, I, yeah, I'll, I might even post that video in the blog on, for this interview on blogs.va.gov. Uh, what years were you in Marty? I was in from 1989 active duty till 1995. Okay. You said you had a blast. You, you did five or six years. Um, yep. So you didn't travel much, no deployments to your t- during your time. Um, why did you decide to get out? Was it, tr- was it travel? 
Um, no, it was the reason why I decided to get out. And I actually did go in the, to the reserve for another five years. So okay. um, including my art, I have about 12 years of, of uh, service. But um, the reason why I decided to get out was the pace of innovation at that time. Now, I'm sure it's it's probably different now. The pace of technology innovation at that time was in the military was very slow. And, it hasn't changed. Okay, well, that's <laughs> I mean, too bad. I mean, in 2015, <laughs> I mean, from a video production standpoint, seeing what was the difference between civilian and the government, and you know, it hasn't changed. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I know you worked in a pretty technology intense uh, role as well, uh, yeah. doing all the videography and stuff like that. So, yeah, I mean, I worked on a program for for satellite defense that you know I worked on it for two years and it ended up getting canceled. And, you know, we'd go through these long periods where we would define the requirements, then do the design. And then by the time we actually got to the development, the program was no longer needed. So gotcha. it just I, for me professionally, I just felt like I needed to work at a place where the speed of innovation be faster. And that's why it, I left. Hit a ceiling, ready to, ready to go for new adventures. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, while you were in though, uh, who was, give me either a best friend or your greatest mentor. Well, I'll give you a couple. So my first boss, um, his name is Brian. He, you know, being new to the military, right? I was pretty green. I didn't, I was a little tentative about what I was supposed to be doing. Uh, He was, you know, he's just a, like a typical military captain, tough as nails, like physically tough, probably could have been a Navy SEAL, uh, but he Mm. wasn't. And he was just very serious and very dedicated, cared about uh, people that were working for him. Um, and so he really taught me like, this is how you do it. This is how you become a military officer. This is how you do it. You do it with, you do it in a way where you're tough, you do the work, you're dedicated, but you care about your team. Um, and so that was the first one. And then the second one, the second one was, um, so because we were in part of NORAD, we had Canadian people there as well. So we got to interact with Canadian, yep, Canadian officers, yeah. Canadian list people. Um, and one of our, um, one of my higher level bosses at a uh, little bit later on was a Canadian colonel. And he was a specialist in client server software development and uh, very advanced for what the military was, was working on. And he was trying to uh, really foster the idea of getting away from these big mainframes and getting more into client server. Now, of course, everything's changed, right? But he was, um, <laughs> but he was pushing the he envelope. Was pushing the envelope and I really thought, wow, this is, and he was like a mad scientist too. I mean, he was a military <laughs> officer, but he was also just, that's, he was just very invested personally uh, in technology and uh, making things work and, and moving things forward. Um, and then also just a very caring person. When I left, he made me a clock, uh, a wow. handmade clock um, with signatures from all of the people that I worked with. And I still have that. It just, it meant so much to me that he did that for me when I left. So anyway, sure. that's two. And I could probably think of a whole bunch more. Um, yeah. I have a friend named Pam. She's also military. She was in the army. She was a JAG and she actually retired from the army as a JAG, as a major, not too long ago. Uh, and she is another, you know, female mentor. She's also been my friend for 30 years, um, mm. but she is so tough and just so smart. And she actually got deployed to Afghanistan for a year when her daughter was eight. Um, wow. And so what a, you know, a challenging thing that she had to go through the, during that time. Yeah. How do you do that? You know, as a mom, you know, it's, it, I, it, yeah. 
Hands I know, off. and she's Hands definitely off hats off that she was strong enough to do that um, yeah. and made sure that Allie, her daughter, was taken care of. And um, I know that they I, they tried to, you know, I guess they just try to stay in touch as much as possible and, you know, try to have video calls or whatever you can um, to try and stay in touch. But, yeah, so she's also um, just somebody I look up to as someone who really I did not get to the point where I could retire, but somebody who really persevered even with a big, a busy, you know, career, even with a family and actually was able to retire from the army. It was, it's just um, fabulous to me. Outstanding. Um, so you got out in like 95, 96, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, right around uh, 95, what, 96. Mm-hmm. What was it like? Because I always ask people in Vietnam and you always know there's no like, Hey, VA was this and, and the uh, nonprofits and there wasn't all that support. And, and then I, I interview a lot of folks that are in 2000, you know, post 9-11 that are, you know, Hey, there's all these services and it was a struggle, but there's all this, all this support, the support and the VA is this now. What was it like in 95, 96 peacetime that era, as far as yeah. like getting out, what, what day one as, as a civilian, what did you do? Um, well, I had a little bit of an easier transition, I think, than most people, just because I happened to be lucky. Um, yeah. but there wasn't really a lot of support. There was, there were resume writing workshops that you could go to. They did have a transition program um, at yeah. Peterson Air Force Base where I was. Uh, there was also, uh, because I happened to be an officer, there was also a recruiting company that was very focused on recruiting officers out of the military into technology. So I, I you know, I just, I happened to get lucky and I happened to meet somebody from that company through the um the transition program at Peterson Air Force Base. And so I was actually recruited into a technology company. There's luck, of course, you know, you say yeah. luck, but there's also some preparation to be ready for that luck. What kind of preparation did you do to be ready to be lucky? <laughs> um, <laughs> wow. Did I do a lot of preparation? I mean, I was pretty young back then. Sure. Uh, I, I definitely, you know, I was very focused on my technology skills and leadership skills. Um, one of the things that was uh, helpful and like, I shouldn't even say the word helpful, like critical, important to my uh, sort of future career was the leadership experience. So mm-hmm. when when I was in the Air Force, you know, I spent about two years coding and testing. And then after that, I was managing coders and testers. And I was, you know, managing a, a large development project that later ended up getting canceled. But at the time, I learned a lot. Uh, and so I was learning that leadership, um, which really helped me when I actually went into the recruiting process, uh, because that's what they were looking for. So, if so you, were able the, to sell, you were able to sell that. And I was able were, to sell that. Yes. And you were ready to be able to sell that. That's the thing is, is people, a lot of folks don't recognize some of the intangible skill sets that military have when they first get out or not even the military service member themselves. They don't look inside and go, mm-hmm. no, I have this. And and this is what they're actually looking for. Yeah. Um, there's that. Sometimes there's a communication gap between the recruiter and the, and the, and the service member that I think a lot of people need to realize. And, and I think you obviously you did that very well. So I think it was important to put, point that out. Um, was it Spectrum? Was it, you know, Spectrum Charter? Was that the first uh, company that, that found you in that arena or was there a, a bridge to that? Yeah, there was a bridge actually. So uh, it was actually MCI. I don't even know if you remember MCI as one of the no. long distance telephone companies um, no. <laughs> and then AT&T. Um, so I, there were several steps in between. Um, and then, so the first company that I went to after I got out of the military was MCI, I was in Arlington, Virginia. And I also became a reservist at the Pentagon at okay. the same time. So, and that was just, 
you know, to be actually able to say you worked at the Pentagon and to have worked at the Pentagon. I mean, my job wasn't very important because I reviewed technical documentation and typed up letters. Um, but I'm sure it was helpful to my boss. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's, I mean, that there was there, I think there's something like 30,000 or 60,000 or basically a whole city in that building. Right. Yes. So yeah. uh, everyone, there's obviously a role for everyone. I mean, there's a, a reason everybody's there. So yeah, my time at the Pentagon, I, I, I don't, it was, I, I like to say that I was able to work at the Pentagon. Absolutely. But the time there, there was a lot of hours that were involved. So, Oh, wow. Um, yeah. <laughs> the pressure that was involved in the, and it's like, we take pictures. Let's be real. You know, compared yeah. to this whole thing in the Pentagon, we take pictures. Anyways, I digress. Um, so engineering at a, at a cable provider, mm-hmm. what does that actually look at? Look like, is it, uh, is it engineering? Is it, I, well, it's obviously it cause you're more of a software person or is it, um, what does that look like when you're working at a, at a cable provider? So a cable provider has, you know, the classic cable TV has really evolved. And yeah. of course we know that the whole video experience out in the marketplace has evolved as well. Um, cable companies now um, are most are more oriented around just jet entertainment in general. Um, and for spectrum, our, our really most important product is the internet service we provide. It's not the video anymore. So back, you know, back in the day, it was actually the video. So when we first got cable te- television back in the 80s, it was the video service. Well, the cable companies ended up using that infrastructure to the home to build Internet service over that infrastructure. Um, and yeah. so the same infrastructure that carried the video into the home back in the 80s and 90s is now the infrastructure that carries the um, Internet service into the home. So the Internet product is actually much more important now than the video product. Um, and the video product is becoming very saturated by competition, as you know. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it, so so now you have this infrastructure that you're using for for Internet service. And that's evolving, too. Right. Even the infrastructure is evolving. Oh, yeah. Even the infrastructure fiber. fiber. Yeah. 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 Um, is that different. something that Spectrum is moving over to as well? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Usually for new for new builds. So yeah. um, it's pretty expensive. Um, and what Verizon does is actually goes into existing homes and builds fiber to the home. It's pretty expensive to do. Yeah. Um, so typically what Spectrum will do is for new greenfield, it's what it's called, uh, developments, um, apartments, complexes, office buildings, we would build fiber to those buildings. It's not, it's much, you know, more cost um, much provides much better service in the long term and much more cost effective than coax now. Uh, but it's just too expensive to go back and retrofit 30 million yeah. homes yeah. Um, to fiber. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's a slow build. That's, that would take a lot of investment probably from both public and private entities. I'm guessing. Um, yes. Hypothesizing. Yes. Huge investment. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, your Canadian Colonel would look about 10 years. Sounds like he would look about 10 years, 20 years yeah. down the road um, for entertainment. You know, like you talk about cable is changing. Cable channels are changing. Entertainment in general is changing to more apps, Netflix Mm -hmm. uh, type of stuff. What do you see as entertainment from a provider standpoint in the next 20 years, 10 years down the road? Is it going to be an app based? Is it going to be an app based thing that's going to be on a tablet or TV or is it is it are you going to have the traditional channels as this thing evolves? What do you think it's going to look like? Oh, I, I definitely think it's going to be more app based, uh, more individually tailored. Um, the thing, the transition that the cable companies are going through now is that you have to buy the bundle and, yeah. uh, buying the bundle is what really subsidizes the channels that not a lot of people watch. So the whole evolution into the app industry is I only want 
a few things. I don't want everything. Um, and that is really going to hurt some of these smaller stations, I think, in the long run, because they won't be subsidized any longer by that huge cable bundle. Um, so that's one of the things that's going to change. But I think you're also kind of also seeing that change in the app space as well mm-hmm. as they're even bundling up. Yes, you know, you they had, CBS, you had yep. CBS kind of go on its own. You had WWE Network. Now yep. they're attaching themselves as they're, you know, they're they're to, to like the Paramount Plus or to the Discovery mm-hmm. Plus or things like yep. that. So I think. Do you think it's fair to say there'll be bundles, but it'll be like a bundle of apps? Yes, I do. Fair, I think it's fair to say it'll be bundles because people are getting people are quickly realizing that it's um, inconvenient to have to have 10 different app logons and try to manage we, 10 different app bills. And that's quickly becoming inconvenient. We, we've seen that those memes, you know, it's like, OK, Netflix, CBS, <laughs> uh, all these different apps, you know, it equals my cable bill. I thought we I thought we got away from this. You know? yeah. so, no, yeah. uh, very, very, very good. But, you know, I um, think the future is uh, much like the, the future that I think is really going to be more exciting even than that is going to be healthcare. I think that the the potentially the cable companies and the Internet companies are potentially going to invest in some healthcare apps. Um, really? And, oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's already a lot of healthcare apps that are out there. The And the ability to manage your health over the Internet, um, I think it's going to be a huge growth area for cable companies. Um, I don't, that's just my, with COVID, you're already seeing that. Um, yeah, you're the, absolutely. The VA telehealth app and that yeah. sort of thing where you can have your, your, uh, you know, either your mental health or physical health appointment, you know, a yeah. lot, in a lot of cases, your physical health appointment uh, yeah. over the, over the screen with your, your provider, you know, yeah. and I think uh, Verizon even teamed up with, with the VA to provide that service for free. I don't know if Sc- yeah. Spectrum has it as well, but it's, we don't have a, pr- a partnership with the VA. Definitely something to look at. We do have our live, um, live well program and that, that program is uh, telemedicine and it includes uh, counseling and those types of services as well. So we do have that virtual counseling service um, for people who need it. Very good. Um, you know, when it talks about uh, your, your your role within Spectrum, you know, the VA has some equivalencies in, in many areas. Um, the biggest thing being VA's Office of uh, Information Technology, OIT. Mm-hmm. Uh, they manage every piece of tech and information system within VA, uh, computer systems, internet services, digital health record databases for millions of veterans, um, and the security behind all of that, right? Because you want to keep right. all that secure. Yeah. Uh, what's hot in the space that um, if VA isn't looking at it, they should. <laughs> and, and and maybe uh, not a maybe it's not a company. Maybe it's a certain technology. Yeah, um, I'll tell you a couple of examples. One of the things that uh, we're starting to look at here at Spectrum is, in terms of security, the artificial intelligence apps that nefarious people could use to. Uh, actually break down your security processes. So we're using artificial intelligence mm. for good things, but there are bad people out there who are trying to use artificial intelligence to to hack into computer systems. And so that's going to be a big field. How are you trying to fight that? Um, we're just looking at we're just looking at it right now in terms of just an R and D effort to to take a look at what it's going to take to, and probably with other artificial intelligence. Like, yeah. All right, DARPA. So that's one. Um, Another thing that I'm very heavily into, so I'll just plug this for a minute. Um, My job is uh, agile transformation. And um, that is a, especially for these larger companies that 
you know, many companies went agile a long time ago, Facebook, Google, um, those, those sort of digital, um, digitally advanced companies have gone agile. We're never even waterfall to begin with and waterfall meaning I'm going to do the requirements then I'm going to do the design. Then I'm going to do delivery agile, meaning I'm going to deliver continuously. In fact, I'm going to deliver something new to the customer every day. That's what Amazon does. That is for these big companies like ours, that is a big transition, but in the long run, it's much more, it delivers a lot more value to the customer a lot faster. And it's what you need to be competitive. So if, if the VA IT department isn't looking at becoming more agile, they absolutely, I'm sure they are already. Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, I, I know what you, I know exactly what you mean. I don't really know much about, you know, Facebook and the social media apps and all that no. stuff, but I see it in my transcribing app for the podcast. Yes. I have transcriptions for, for every episode and they release a new software update every week and it's a very small company. You know, it's very easy to pivot like that. And I think, uh, I think it's totally accurate to say, you know, fortune 500 companies. It's a, it's a and I say it about the VA all, all the time. It's a big ship with a tiny rudder. You know, it's like, you gotta yeah. kind of, um, but no, very interesting. Very interesting. Um, your bio also says that you're the co-chair for spectrum veteran business resource group. Uh, what is the mission of that group? Is it, is it, and is it similar to other large companies, veterans groups that help connect veterans within the company together and helps them with their transition, et cetera? I think I've talked about it with Walmart. I've talked about it with uh, uh, Coke Industries and a couple of other Fortune Amazon. Uh, is that is that something similar like that, or is it is it is there more more to it that I don't know about? It's it's very similar. Uh, I guess a lot of companies would call it like an affinity group. Um, but there is a little bit of a twist to it in that we call it a business resource group because we are really providing um, we're providing a service to the company and to the veterans. So we're we're helping Good. the company by like growing veterans. Yeah. And so there is like, a business purpose behind it. So it's it's not only helping the veterans and the fact that they're helping them transition into civilian yeah. life. You're, you're also helping the civilians get accustomed to working with veterans. Is that what I'm hearing? Um, we're getting the, we're benefiting the company by helping veterans grow their careers. So we feel our mission is that we feel that veterans offer a special um, a special type of employee to a company that can help that company be more successful. So our mission is to help veterans be more successful in order to make the company more successful. Gotcha. So you gotcha. Very good. So you're showing them like the, 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 from within the company, the employment track, this is where you need to go. This is exactly what you need to execute. Yeah, we're focused on recruiting. We're focused on retention. We're focused on community. Um, so one of the things that um, when I first started with the BRG about two and a half years ago, we did a lot of focus groups to try to figure out why do veterans leave? Why do they join? Why do they stay? And one of the things that we we really realized was that veterans coming in fresh out of active duty, and I felt this too um, in my transition, when, when we're in the military, it's a family. I mean, you, yeah. you, you hang out with your, your coworkers, you eat with your coworkers, you live on the base. Typically you hang out at the officer's club. And when you go into a civilian career, you lose that yeah. civilian uh, companies really don't have that. So what we've done with the veterans BRG is to, we've recreated that sense of being a part of something bigger than just your everyday job. And that's, that's been our focus. Um, and also, you know, I didn't have like a very difficult military service career compared to a lot of other people I meet. And so yeah. I feel like it's, it's my job now to 
to be able to take what I have and the abilities that I have and help some of those people who were not as lucky as I was, who did not get a, have a good opportunity to have a civilian career as quickly as I did, who struggled with the resume part of it, who, who struggle with a civilian boss who doesn't understand what their history is and what they have to offer. And so that's part of the reason why I'm involved. Is it, is it cathartic for you to actually be involved in something like that as well? Oh, it's so, it's amazing. It's just, it's, I can't even describe it. Um, and I had really, you know, having gotten out in, you know, the, the 90 or, you know, early nineties, uh, having, having kids going into civilian jobs, super busy career. I, I kind of lost touch a little bit with my military background and my heritage of being in the military. And when I was, I volunteered to lead the veterans BRG, we actually have five different, um, BRG groups. One of them happens to be veterans. I volunteered. Uh, they were asking for volunteers and I think they picked me because I happen to be the only female that a volunteer, but <laughs> I have a male <laughs> counterpart and that that's a whole different. I mean, plus you're ahead of like all the IT within spectrum, right? Oh, I'm not ahead of all the IT. Oh. I, I do run a, I do run a transformation agile transformation team. And I used to run a really yeah. big technical, uh, yeah. uh, team, but, um, no, I, the IT group is actually so, a pretty large group, but so there's some leadership skills that you also have that, that that yeah. within the company that you've yeah. demonstrated. So, yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, so to talk about what it means to me, just the, the, when I first started with the BRG, I started meeting all these wonderful people that I didn't know were out there. Um, and every day, um, we have veterans that, that call us and say, you know what, I'm really struggling with this. I need some help. Um, I'm about to be deployed. We have a deployed veterans program now. I'm about wow. to be deployed. How do I stay in touch with what's happening at the company? Um, and we work on when de when veterans get deployed, they're, they're in the reserves, Air National Guard. You know, they get deployed. Sometimes they go for a long time. We want them to come back. Right. We want oh. them. Sometimes they don't come back. We want them to come back to Spectrum. So if we can keep them connected with the company while they're deployed, uh, what, what a huge benefit to that person as well as to the company. Yeah. Right? So, no, 100%. Um, and so if I can, if I can, uh, you know, to me, just meeting those people and the, hearing their stories and like understanding what it would take to help them be successful at Charter is is a huge you know honor for me. Gotcha. Very good. So you, I, I take it there's some education there, both for the veteran, like, hey, this seat's still here. And then probably to the uh, supervisor, like, hey, yeah. get a temp or something. That person is going to be back. Yeah. And gotcha. it, it's also a, a little bit of an education to the manager um, that this person is dedicated, right? They're, they're a good long-term asset to the company. You need to do your role as a manager and make sure that you're in touch with that person. You let them know if something major happens while they're gone, like there's a reorg or there's some sort of a, you know, a change. Um, it's your job as a manager to do that. And so we also offer manager training. Our, it's not my group, actually. I work with the learning and development um, group and the recruiting team. But we have a whole series of training modules for our managers and our recruiters to help them understand, here's how you recruit someone who is a veteran. And here's how you bring them in and transition them in. Here's the challenges they're going to face. And here's how you can help them be more successful. Very good. Very good. Um, I know you, I know you said you were kind of distanced from your, from your military service a little bit, but what is one thing that you learned during your time in the military yeah. that you apply to what you do today? And oh. is it something that you didn't realize until you looked back and go, yeah, I did learn that in the military. Um, no, I think I realized it when I was in and I've taken it with me through every job that I've had. Uh, true leaders. When I think of a true leader, um, 
you know, a manager, I can be a manager. I can manage with my brain, right? Managers manage with their brain. They think about, oh, what skill sets do I need? How many people do I have? What's my budget? Who needs to growth areas? Who's excelling? I'm managing with my brain, right? Uh, but a, a true leader has to lead with the heart. And mm. true, and that's what I learned in the military. I've seen these military, some of the people that I talked about, um, in order to lead someone into a battle, that is not a brain activity. That is a heart activity. And that, that person who's taking that person into battle has to take that person by the hand and say, I'm leading you with my heart. I'm invested in you. I believe in you. I know we can do this. And they're not leading with their brain. They're leading with their heart. I've really tried to take that with me into my leadership roles at Charter. You know, I've had big teams. I've had small teams or at Spectrum. I've had big teams. I've had small teams. And I always remember that I need to lead with my heart and I need to meet the people that I work with where they're at. So very well said, very well said. Um, Marty, is there a veteran nonprofit or a veteran in the community of veterans? Like if someone within the veteran community yeah. whom you've worked with or you've had an experience with that you'd like to mention? Yeah, I'll mention a couple. Um, so one of the one of the the groups that we work with a lot of different groups, um, and uh, mostly in the recruiting space. But one of the groups that I really enjoy working with, um, that I actually was the first leader at Charter to work with, is hiring our heroes. Okay, I think that's just a wonderful program. And I uh, just for the folks who are listening in and who don't know about the program, it's a um, program for typically it's for people who are retiring out of the military, although sometimes people who are just transitioning use it as well. Um, And it is a, it is geared a little bit towards technology, but not always. And it's also geared towards senior folks um, because they are retiring. Um, And I really, and there's a lot of competition, believe it or not, amongst people, companies like ours, like Spectrum and Xfinity and and, um, AT&T and Amazon and Verizon. We compete for these people, right? Microsoft. Yeah, I've I've interviewed a lot of them. (laughs) Yes, I'm sure you have. The Hiring Our Heroes program is is really great. It just gives gives the military transitioning member the opportunity to transition into a civilian job in a like a very supported way. So um, there are, they run three cohorts a year. Um, you, you, you submit. What's a cohort? To, What's a cohort? Um, it's a group, a group of uh, people who are applying. Okay. okay. And the, and the companies advertise, there's a huge database, the companies who are interested in participating advertise specific roles for, and they are roles that will have a permanent job associated with them. If it works out for both the, the person and the company. So those roles are advertised and then people apply. So the people that are coming out of the military apply. Uh, some bases are part of it, some aren't. So it's it's kind of like an optional program for the base. It's at the base level. Um, and then the, 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 the people are interviewed and they accept a position as a cohort. And then as they're in on their final military leave, they're getting paid by the military. They come in and work for the company in a role in which they would eventually get hired into. They have yeah. a mentor, they have a manager, um, they have a su- whole support program around them so that they feel comfortable in their new role uh, and they're supported. So they get a chance to, to have kind of a low risk civilian experience. And then typically, I don't know what the stats are, but typically they do get hired. In fact, we're getting ready to hire like six of them right now in this last cohort. cohort. So wow. I was the, I actually brought that com- program into the company and I just love working with that program. I think it's awesome. 
one of my, one of the interviews that uh, my predecessor did that I was jealous of that he did was he interviewed Brian Stan, who's one of the board members for Hire Our Heroes. Oh, and, uh, wow. And, yeah, you know, UFC awesome. fighter, FS1 commentator, uh, yeah. of a Silver Star recipient with the Marine Corps. Like, as a Marine, I'm like, that's one of the guys. I would. Oh, anyways. So if you haven't heard that one in the archives uh, and you're listening to this, definitely go check that one out in the archives. Um, and then for you, I think a, a good one for you would be maybe give you a little, a little edge on the other, uh, the competition. There is uh, Alex Calfrey, uh, Calfrey, 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 Alex, uh, offline. Uh, he's also in the archives. So, so check for you, check that one out as well. Oh, great. Uh, yeah. Anyone yeah. else? Any, any anyone else you've worked yeah, with? Yeah, I do. Okay. It's not somebody I work with. It's a friend. So uh, I have a friend who is actually a Vietnam vet, and he um, is he is in a wheelchair. He's disabled. He had really tough military service. He was actually part of a book that was written about um, you know frontline army uh, op, um, combat in Vietnam. Very intense book. And, um, he is so positive. I mean, I, when I see him, um, he, he just has this great outlook on life, even though he's, you know, he's, he's challenged physically. And, um, he just, he's just always, he talks about his military service and he tells us all sorts of stories about it. And I can just tell that he, he is just so inspiring because he has these physical disabilities, but yet he's such a positive, uh, person in the world. He's like a light in the world for everybody that interacts with him. And he, he does speeches all around the Denver area. And um, he's very involved in the VA. Um, He helps other veterans all the time. And that's his life. Now he's, he's dedicated his life to helping other veterans. And I just, he's so inspiring to me. I'm sure he, I'm sure he, I'm sure he has, if he's that much involved, but has he been pinned? Do you know what that means? I don't know what it means. And I, so I don't know. I'd have to ask him. Gotcha. We'll find out. It's a, you know, Vietnam veterans—they—they they never got the welcome home that my generation got. That your generation, oh, I mean, I even, even your even your generation got uh, yeah. with that kind of started the thank you for your service kind of started after Desert Storm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and they had a rough time both from you know the military, the the yeah. government, and from their local communities. They never got that yeah. welcome home. Here's a free cup of coffee type yeah. of thing. And so, what the Vietnam Veterans Commission done—it's being run through the DoD—is that it's it's a small token, but it's. Thank you. It's a thank you. And it's a pin that goes like a little lapel pin that goes on. It says Vietnam veteran. And it's, the, it's an official recognition from the government as a, as a thank you. Wow. And yeah. So I don't know if he, and and they give it, they give certificates for the family survivors that, that you know, that a lot of Vietnam veterans have passed away. Mm-hmm. So let me know if he has or hasn't. And we've also interviewed the, the commission, uh, you know, the commissioner of that, of that commissioner yeah. of that commission uh, on the, on the podcast as well. So uh, you know, hit me up afterwards. We'll, we'll find out and you know, let me know and see if we can't, uh, if we can take care of them or not. Oh, great. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, and, you know, I could go on and on about people, but there's also a couple of senior, um, senior executives, like really senior executives at Spectrum who are veterans. They're both, they all, they both actually happen to be Navy veterans, our head of customer operations who runs a group of 30,000 people. He's a mm. veteran. Um, the head of product development for our internet product, which is our most important product is also a Navy veteran. So there are very, um, prominent folks within Spectrum who have grown their careers. Um, and we have them come in and speak to the, the, our veteran community. Our BRG has almost a thousand members. So wow. our, our members get to hear from those leaders periodically and, um, and they're inspiring as well. I mean, they served really challenging uh, tours. The, your BRG has a thousand 
members within the company. Within the company. So you, yes. Wow. So you guys are very involved yeah. in hiring veterans. Very good. Yeah. Um, well, I'd be very interested. Let's talk afterwards to, to continue this relationship and, and see if we can't get some more veterans on, uh, on the, on the podcast here. Oh, great. Um, I'd love this. Those, both of those sound very interesting. Yeah. Um, all right, Marty, we've, I mean, 45, I mean, Hey, I love that. We're succinct. Goodbye. I love it. I love it. Um, <laughs> Is there anything that I may have missed or didn't ask that you think it'd be important to share? I'll talk, I'll talk a little bit about, and I mentioned this earlier, but I just really wanted to let all the folks listening know that this company, um, Spectrum Where I Work, really values veteran skills and abilities. And we want to bring more veterans into the company. We have about just under 10,000 right now, and the company is 100,000. So it's right around 10%, a little bit less. Uh, and we want to want to grow that because we really value the contribution that those people um, bring to the company. And so uh, just over the last few years, um, Spectrum has made a huge effort to um, become, to roll out programs like the Business Resource Group. Um, it, like our, we have inclusion talks, we have, um, we have community service programs, um, lots of different programs oriented towards valuing um, the contribution that our veterans make. And so I just wanted to, you know, just let folks know that Spectrum is a really great place for veterans to work and to advance their careers. There are nearly 2 million women veterans who served and deserve the best care anywhere. VA is dedicated to meeting the unique needs of all women veterans. VA offers comprehensive primary care, specialty care, mental health care, and women's health specialty care, such as advanced breast and gynecological care, maternity care, and infertility treatments. At each VA medical center nationwide, a Women Veterans Program Manager is available to advise, advocate, and coordinate care for women veterans. Women veterans who are interested in receiving care at VA should call the Women Veterans Call Center at 855-VA-WOMEN or 855-829-6636 or contact the nearest VA Medical Center and ask for the Women Veterans Program Manager. For more information about benefits and other services for women veterans, visit www.va.gov slash womenvet. I want to thank Marty for joining us here on Born the Battle. For more information on Marty and her work, there's a great bio of her at wict.org forward slash bio forward slash Marty hyphen more. And you can find the spelling of her name in the title of this episode. This week's Born the Battle Veteran of the Week is from our VA Veteran of the Day program. Every day, our digital media team honors a veteran on all of our social media platforms and with a blog on blogs.va.gov. You can nominate the veteran in your life by sending in a short write-up and about five photos. Don't screenshot photos or take a photo of a photo. Uh, they make a graphic from what you send. But again, send an email with a short write-up and about five good photos to newmedia at va.gov. After enlisting in the Army in September of 1942, Francis Cunningham was sent to Seagirt, New Jersey, for basic training. Based on his civilian work as a cable splicer, Cunningham then went on to continue his work at the Cable Splicing School at Fort Monmouth. Cunningham was then assigned to the 63rd Signal Battalion, 36th Infantry Division, and in the winter of 1943, his division was shipped overseas. 
But before they reached North Africa, their ship collided with another troop ship and had to stop in Bermuda. That's a hard duty. After that, the 63rd Battalion was then sent to Morocco on the SS Santa Rosa. The battalion was then moved across North Africa to Tunisia. During the spring of 1943, the battalion installed and operated and maintained signal communications for the 5th Army. They also aided with preparations for the invasion of Italy, known as Operation Avalanche. On September 11, 1943, Cunningham's battalion arrived in Italy and prepared for the attack against Naples. The 36th Infantry Division spent the fall and winter of 43 and 44 fighting their way up the Italian coast and participated in several major battles such as Mount Longo, San Pietro, and the Rapido River. The German army buried their cables and phone equipment to protect against bombing, and Cunningham and his comrades were tasked with finding and fixing German cables for use by the Allies. Following the capture of Rome in 1944, Cunningham was sent to southern France and headed north to prepare for the Rhineland campaign against Germany, supporting communications along the Siegfried Line. After the Americans reached Stuttgart in April of 1945, Cunningham remained in the city until the Germans surrender on May 8th. He was then transferred to Heidelberg for post-war occupational duties, but eventually returned to the U.S. in the fall of 1945. He was honorably discharged, and after leaving the Army, Cunningham returned to his job as a cable splicer and worked for the Philadelphia Electric Company until his retirement. In his retirement, he has visited Europe and many monuments associated with the campaigns he participated in. This past June 21st was Francis's 100th birthday. Army veteran Francis Cunningham, happy belated birthday, and thank you for your service. That's it for this week's episode. If you yourself would like to nominate your veteran as a feature born the battle veteran of the week, so we can all learn their story, you can. Just send an email to podcast at va.gov, include a short write-up, and let us know why you'd like to see him or her as the Born the Battle Veteran of the Week. And if you like this podcast episode, hit the subscribe button. We're on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, pretty much any podcatching app, not a phone, computer, tablet, or man. For more stories on veterans and veteran benefits, check out our website, blogs.va.gov, and follow the VA on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, RallyPoint, LinkedIn, Pinterest, DEPT Vet Affairs, U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. No matter the social media, you can always find us with that blue check mark. And as always, I'm reminded by people smarter than me to remind you that the Department of Veterans Affairs does not endorse or officially sanction any entities that may be discussed in this podcast, nor any immediate products or services they may provide. I say that because the song you're hearing now is called Machine Gunner, which is courtesy of the nonprofit Operation Song and was written by Marine veteran Mark Milkilhenny, Nashville songwriter Jason Seaver, and Michael Duncan. Have a great day. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you right here next week. Take care. We gotta get them one way or the other. Machine gun. Firefight bullets fly to my brain. Simplify to another campaign. My desk is a rock where the drug lords cut up millions. My pen is a 7.62 round that'll cut them down in an instant. Made bullet in my bag Raining down lead Punching that clock Get them boys I'm laying down Cover machine gun Firefight 
Let's fly day and night rain. Simplify, fly, do or die, another campaign. Here we go, lock and load, 0331. Lug a thousand rounds, and I ain't bringing back one. So every once in a while, I have what's called a saved round. Uh, it's like if you have listened to the music and all the news releases and the interviews and the end music and, and you're still there, you get treated with a little bonus and it could oh. be a story. Yeah. You get, and, it, and, it, and sometimes it's a story uh, about your military service or something that is in your career that we didn't really discuss that it could be funny or inspiring uh, that you think would be welcome to sh- that you, that would be shareable. Um, and, and, you know, you can go PG 13 if you, if, if needed um, some do. Uh, is there anything uh, do you have a saved round? Oh my gosh. I don't know if I do or not. I have to think about that for a minute. No worries. A funny military story or, or <laughs> it, it always, they all start with uh, there I was and, and then they kind of roll into it. All right. I got one for you. All right. Very well. Let's go. All right. So you mentioned, I mentioned earlier that my parents were so thrilled and proud that I was going into the military. And one of the most, the most special memories that I have of my dad and he's passed away now is that when I was at Peterson Air Force Base, um, we went to the officers club. That's what you do. You go to the officers club. And back then they had dancing. So they had like, you know, um, not disco music, that kind of dancing. They had quiet dancing, uh, slow dancing. And so I took my dad out to dance at the officers club. And I just, I could just feel how proud he was in that moment. And so that, that moment to be able to share that with my dad was one of my most special memories of being in the military. Something that, that the military gave you that you, you'll always remember. That's right. 